Hello and welcome to Sonic Kitty. I'm your host, Kat Walsh. I'm happy to welcome our next guest and my friend, Hannah Pariseau. Hannah's been a creative inspiration. Um, growing up in Southern Massachusetts, she went on to study music education at UMass Dartmouth. After graduating, she moved to Atlanta, Georgia to pursue a career teaching music. She's currently teaching elementary school music in Doraville, Georgia. After work, she's a principal double bass player for the Atlanta's Musicians Orchestra. Hannah's creativity was not satisfied by just musical pursuits, so she began taking classes at the prominent Atlanta theater company, Dad's Garage. After years of crippling stage fright, Hannah had discovered her love of improv in college, but had never seriously pursued it upon graduating. After her first class, she was hooked. After three years of classes, hundreds of improv and Zoomprov jams, and a few podcast performances, Hannah co-hosts an improv role-playing show on Twitch called Calamity, a Fiasco Jam. On Calamity, four comedy improvisers craft a completely improvised story using the role-playing game Fiasco. Calamity airs on Thursdays and Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be linking it, um, but I do strongly encourage you to check it out. It's been a high point for me throughout COVID, um, so welcome Hannah. Hello! Howdy! Aloha! Welcome! Hello! Hola! Thank you for having me! <laughs> Alright, so let's just start uh, at the very beginning of your musical journey. So first memory of an instrument that stood out, or of music in general, or hearing music, or playing, um, and kind of just a background of what that looked like. Um, my family was not particularly musical, but I always had music in my life because of church. My mom is very, very religious. Her mom's very religious. It definitely shaped my appreciation of music, and I always liked watching, um, watching the conductor and I always like waving my arms with the conductor I didn't know what they were doing but I just love that how the choir was looking at them and they cue them and this would happen and I loved seeing the organ and seeing the organist it always just fascinated me and instruments just fascinated me but particularly the piano was just like what <laughs> that's nuts i want the secret key to this and i remember um in second grade i met this girl named allison baker and she's a genius she we don't talk anymore we were best friends though we would go over each other's houses and stuff and when i would go over her house she would teach me how to play the piano <laughs> because she had one and just that that was so much fun to me that that was what i went over to her house for from that, when my mom found us a church that I think we had a church picked out before a house, and there's a pianist there who was, she was young, and she had red hair, and she was super fun, so I, we found out somehow that she taught piano lessons, and I begged my mom to let me play. I just wanted to, I really, you know, and my mom was like, yeah, sure, she let me do it. I think I had to wear her down a little bit, but so, but the downside of that is my sister also wanted to learn, my older sister. And from the moment she started piano lessons, I did not want to do it anymore because she was two years older than me, so she was better. But she would practice because she 
being in fourth grade, she had the focus. Like, her brain development was at a much farther place. And I still think about that today of, like, I wish I had understood as a second grader that my sister was obviously going to be better than me. So I didn't practice. I just, like, lost all interest almost immediately. I almost shit my pants at this Christmas party um, recital thing where I had to play silver bells. And I messed up. And I cried. Like, I cried after that. So I quit in seventh grade. I was finally like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think part of it actually is that's when the depression hit. So that's when the rebellion hit. Like, we're hearing rock music and just like when you turn it up so you can feel the bass and you just are surrounded in it. That's the best feeling in the entire world. And so I really clung to that, much to my mother's chagrin. Well, I think growing up in a household where you can't listen to like popular music or like a lot of the stuff coming out or the cultural trends, it it can cause you to feel so socially disconnected or or even cause you to to isolate um, or just feel a disconnect. Yeah, and I did (laughs) a lot. So, uh, it was a whole social thing, um, and uh, my dad got me Guitar Hero, uh, Guitar Hero Legends of Rock, and I played it constantly. I wanted to play guitar so bad, but I didn't have good communication with my parents. Um, they kind of hid the fact that there was depression in our family from me, so I became depressed, (laughs) and I started hurting myself and all this sad stuff, and my parents finally found out, um, and it was a whole thing. And we went to the doctor, and the doctor was like, well, first of all, you need to get her a hobby. You need to just let her do something she likes. And we ended up going from the doctor's office to the store, to the music store in Swansea, Ray Mullins Music. We got a brand new guitar, acoustic guitar, um, and signed up for lessons, and I was so excited. I had the guitar case open on my bed with the guitar in there, and it was all tiny. And you could have, like, I could have heard angels singing from it. And then I had my first guitar lesson, and it it was, I didn't know what I was expecting, um, but it was great. It was, my teacher's name is Jimmy. He was also a man of God. Um, He's a Republican. I have to mention that. Uh, He's big Trumper. It's a reflection of how good of a teacher he was and how much of an impact he made on me that I'm still friends with him on Facebook throughout this election. But um, he was just, he just wanted me to have fun while I was learning. Um, And he definitely was a model for a really good teacher And I've been fortunate to have private teachers who have recognized my potential and also recognize that my brain can sometimes be a little unmet. And they have just um, listened to me and then fixed their strategy for teaching based on how I learn. Um, And it only, I only stopped liking guitar once we got the chords. I couldn't play chords. Um, I tried out for the jazz band my freshman year. I played Autumn Leaves and I was so scared. I was shaking. I got into the little practice room with the band director. (sighs) Um, And I played. I didn't get in. 
Um, he said, you have a great start, kiddo, which I didn't hear that as a compliment. I heard that as you didn't get in. Right. And I mean, first auditions are really hard, too. It's it's crushing. Even first performances, first time getting feedback, it's it's so difficult and you can have such an idealistic view. Uh, but what was your next step following that audition? Did you switch instruments? Did you continue with guitar and for for how long? I switched to bass um, because because I couldn't do I couldn't I can't do chords on the guitar. Even ukulele is tough. I don't know why, but my brain just doesn't. I can't like shit. It doesn't work out. I remember I listened to a lot of Green Day at this time, and I could hear the bass in Green Day because it's awesome. <laughs> and um, it's, it's just roots, but I still love it. And Jimmy was like, you know what? Since you like how it sounds, why don't you try it? And he went to the store that was attached to the lesson studio and got a brand new red Fender P bass. And I played it, and I was like, just one note, done. There you go. Um, and I just wanted to play like punk, <laughs> bo, 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 bo. like when you play a full Green Day song, even though it's three notes, it's still like I played along with it. So um, I was a little discouraged from jazz band, but that was taken over by my love of the bass. So I started to involve myself in the school groups, the marching band. I stood. I did not march because I was in the pit. Before that, I was in Color Guard. Um, I'm a state champion. 2009? 2010? State, yeah, 2010, state champion, dreamer, Somerset High School. Um, and then I was like, I never want to do this ever again. So I was in the pit for, uh, per, for marching man and winter percussion. I played bass, I played keyboard, I played uh, rack, which is like your gong, bass drum, maracas, temple blocks, all the accessory stuff. I played mallet percussion. I hate mallet percussion. I would rather play chords on an acoustic guitar. Just gonna say it. Um, and it's really interesting to play all of those instruments because you realize that instruments have a role like high instruments have a different role than the middle range instruments those have a different role than the low range instruments and those have a different role than the percussion instruments and it's very interesting the relationship that everyone needs to have with the bass and then the in the relationship that bass needs to have with the percussion section so being in all those groups really helped me do that and throughout all this i was always trying to make like rock bands with my friends wow yeah so it sounds like you're taking on a lot at this point um how was your mental health kind of fearing within these programs and with all this activity uh, it seems like you were keeping super busy at the time there's this there are two branches of thought in music education that are generally like you can push kids and recognize that each student has a different emotional limit and stop there or you can just pretend like every single child or teenager which is still a child every single child has the same tolerance for pressure and just keep pushing and pushing and pushing so put a lot of pressure 
on students. And I don't think he realized at the time that when you have mentally unstable students and you say to the whole group something like, you guys are all fucking useless, that one mentally unstable student is going to go home thinking I'm fucking useless. And that is how I left a lot of these rehearsals is thinking I suck. This is me personally. And now I have the tools to understand that it it's that person's issue. It's not my issue. But at the time, I would I would use this as fodder to hurt myself because I would just be it wasn't the music, but it was the people in charge of teaching me the music. They were pressure, pressure. And that drove me into the arms of my percussion instructor. Well, before we go forward, if we could, I mean, I guess just pause and look a little bit at marching band. I don't have any experience. Um, I've heard good things. I've heard that you can get a lot of discipline, um, that, you know, you get time to work out your skills, you get feedback and reviews. Um, But what would you say are some areas that need to be improved or if any, um, and... And what was your experience with it? So marching, I don't think all marching band is bad because I, I learned a lot from it. It was a good experience sometimes. And it's real. I know people who did marching band, did drum corps, who are giants now and who really needed that. But I just think it's not inclusive for everyone. It, the discipline, I think, works, but when you have kids who are mentally unstable, you need to factor that in. You have to factor in that the things you're saying in this discipline of, like, if you mess up, we're going to make fun of you and shame you so you don't mess up again, that's not a good model for everyone. Well, and it's, it seems like it's not, like, he's, this isn't the first example of an instructor who's done this that I've heard of, and it's not a specific setting like you could be a band director with an ensemble director but I think within music that there is this common like whiplash style teaching method that for some reason people started to believe is the way to do it um but so going forward now we're we're heading towards the end of high school um and what's going on with you at that point uh, so I got really close and personal because during drum corps, you you basically live with your instructors all summer. So when you have an instructor who's just been through drum corps, they're going to think they can have that closeness with their public school students. But they can't. You cannot text your student that you platonically love them, especially if they're mentally unstable because they're going to love you back. So I'm, I'm glad that that whole thing happened in my life um, because it pushed me in the direction I went to the direction I am now. But it was really difficult during, especially when we were caught and I denied it. <laughs> that was, that made my junior year really difficult. Um, my senior year, I moved out um, in November of my senior year and I commuted an hour both ways uh, to high school every day from a flea-infested apartment in New Bedford. And it really... It gave me a lot of time to think about my life and about what I wanted and didn't want to do. Um, And the only thing that kept me going to school was music class. I took all music classes, and then I had, like, AP. um, And 
and I auditioned at the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth on the uh, electric bass. I played classical music because I didn't I like classical music. I think Bach makes sense. Like, reading notes on a page made sense. And it's a testament to Jimmy because even when I moved out of my parents' house and I couldn't pay for um, bass lessons, he gave me free lessons on his lunch break. He invited me to come. Yeah, because he he saw the potential and he believed. And it's interesting because, like, earlier in my high school... Um, the music school, Ray Mullins Music, they had just started to put together bands with their students. I was in their first band with Logan Amaral um, and some other people playing Taylor Swift and Metallica. Um, and it's really, it was really interesting doing that and just like being like, yeah, I'm rocking with all these boys. Uh, but Jimmy saw that I liked, I liked playing notes and I liked playing scales. So he suggested the Bach cello suites. So I learned the Bach cello suites on the prelude do 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 on electric bass, which I got to UMass and realized you can't play classical music on the electric bass professionally. But um, that's what I auditioned with. I played the first two measures and then just choked. But to Wes, Wes's credit, he looked me in the eyes and said, you got it. I know you've got it. And I was in college. (laughs) So that's a pretty drastic change, too, to go from, like, your small town discipline instructor, and then you get to, you know, UMass Dartmouth, and you have Wes, who's a little bit more laid back in style. So how did you kind of deal with that style of instructor for the first time? I really appreciated more more laid back teachers like Wes. Wes didn't come in with a lesson plan prepared. He or choose. He just let me do what I wanted and that helped me discover the fact that I don't want to play jazz bass and that I wasn't good at jazz bass. But he let me kind of explore and he wanted me to play upright. He wants all of his students to play upright bass. But he is definitely not one to say this is what you need to do. He let me come to that conclusion on my own. So um, I still had this unhealthy, like, if I don't do this, I'll die mindset. And that motivated me to practice. And that was my motivation throughout all of college, which is kind of why when I left college... I didn't want to do it anymore because I realized like there's a whole world outside of this. Also throughout college I remember maybe sophomore year you started to branch out and do like work within the theater company and um, other you know outside performance as well. Um, so how did that take a part in your college experience as well? After I was in the pit for Little Shop of Horrors my freshman year, I met a lot of the people at the improv group um, on campus because a lot of them were in there. So I started doing improv, and that was life-changing, even though I realized now that that, that's not what real improv is. Um, It got me performing. And if you had asked Hannah, even like freshman year of college, will you go on a stage in front of people by yourself or like talking 
two people, I would have said no fucking way. But improv opened that curtain way open. And I realized that I want to, I want to be in the front, which is hard when you play bass. <laughs> um, and it was also difficult because I couldn't sing until very recently in my life. Um, but musical theater in college was my escape from from my escape basically nice i mean i think especially as a music major it can be nice to have some kind of outside outlet outside of the department to kind of get away uh but during this time you also are switching from electric to upright and you get a new instructor and what is that experience like for you meyer was the first one first teacher in a really long time that i had who kind of he listened to what i had to say but he was also sometimes like that's bullshit you need to do it uh, and it's funny because i think he was expecting to have a student who had played the upright bass to their junior year rather than starting on their junior year and he handled it all right um and so that he was a great motivator i just liked his energy um and then i got an email from a graduate school in Longy, and I was like, someone wants me, I'm in. So you do actually end up going straight straight to Longy from UMass Dartmouth, um, and how, how was that? I hated it. I hated it so much. I hate Boston. I'm just gonna say it. I... I racked up like $400 in parking tickets because putting your base on the T, what? <laughs> like that's bullshit. And the rent. <laughs> um, so I I kind of knew the summer before going into laundry that it wasn't going to work out. And I can admit that to myself now. Um, but I, I'm proud of myself for trying and I met my teacher, who I don't talk to anymore. Her name's Pascal. And she was a female bass player who plays better than any man I have ever met in my entire life. This woman. Oh, my God. Um, and she she kind of made me see that I wasn't ready to be there. And she was very supportive about it. And she wasn't like, you're bad. She was actually like encouraging me to stick with it because she was like, it's going to be really hard to do your master's degree later on if you want to have a family and stuff. But in the end, something, I had a panic attack in one of the tunnels underneath Boston and I literally like wanted to crash my car off of a bridge. I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And that was the first time I'd really listened to myself and been like, you need a break. Even though Andy McWayne told me, you should take a break. You need to take a break. Just take a break. And I didn't. But that my body was like, you need to take a break. And I did. And now I'm ha- I'm a lot happier than I was then. Well, and I think that's super valuable. I think like so many musicians are afraid to take the break because time will pass. You won't get the call back. I remember hearing stories while well, getting instructions um, from an educator that you know if you're busy, even if it's like your parents' birthday, whatever, um, a, fu- a funeral, you say you have another gig because you don't want to seem like you're not working. And it just feels like that facade is so exhausting. Um, and so hard to uh, just keep up um, that it's so much extra energy in that mental game than 
even in the music um and i i wish more people were did feel allowed to take a break in this because it's so much more refreshing when you come back to it yeah yeah it is and i i think taking a break was definitely like in the cards for me because i know that i will get back to music eventually i know but um i had a mentor marcel i took voice lessons with marcel gobbin and she told me that no matter like you could stop doing music for 20 years it'll come back it will when you're ready and so i kept that in my heart and i know that i need to work on this a little more before i can really throw myself back into music and taking a break from it except i teach music but taking a break from like go 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 is definitely has helped my mental health a lot and it's helped me to instead of like hating my bass i'm kind of just blase right now but i hated it for a while hitting like a hard plateau even if it's an emotional one or not feeling what you want to play it's doesn't really it's not very conducive to music as a whole because if you play a piece there's an element of being present and the times that you are present you are making music but I believe a lot of the times that you're just doing the mechanics of it um, can be questioned if if that's valuable or if that's music um, but it's just so important you instead of just layering it on and exhausting yourself yeah. further and pushing it to this point like if more people are allowed to take a break yeah yeah it doesn't it, it doesn't work it you have to you have to develop your mental mental health is really important and we live in a society that puts work before mental health and puts like the rat race before mental health and i feel like we need to shift away from that all right so in the long term, you do end up leaving Longy, um, and you move out of state. So, what kind of pivot caused that pivot um, caused you to want to move to relocate? How did that whole process go? Um, so, I decided we kind of like decided we're moving to Georgia, but we can't move to Georgia until like we have money. So, I uh, got a job as a elementary school music teacher at this school in Lawrence. Lawrence, Massachusetts is not a great area. It has a high Puerto Rican population, a lot of mental health problems. There, uh, those are two are unrelated. Um, a lot of poverty. Um, they failed the MCAS, which is the standardized test. So the whole district failed. So what um, Massachusetts government did was say, hey, you're not gonna have any more arts programs at all we're just going to have reading math, reading math science. Um, so when I taught there, it was the second year they had music class in 10 years at this school. And the teacher I replaced was like the most beloved teacher ever. So they didn't like me. <laughs> I was really strict. I was really new. I need things a certain way, but I taught on a cart. I pushed a cart through this leaky pipe hole in the floor school we had an elevator me and the art teacher got stuck in that elevator for two hours once and we were just like at least we don't have to teach um and i kind of saw the american education system for what it was and that's the first time that i saw it like the american education system only works for white males for rich white males 
And I've seen that over and over and over again. And I realize the majority of the population in Somerset, Massachusetts, rich white males. And that's why they're like the Trump capital of the Southeast Massachusetts now. Um, which is a thing. But it's there's a lot of diversity. It made me appreciate that. It, it also gave me a glimpse into Hispanic children are so nice. You just need patience for them because they're translating in their head. We have the mercy of not having to translate every single thing someone says to us. But when a kid came from Guatemala two days ago, they're going to need a little bit of time. Right. And not just time. I mean, being a new teacher and having to communicate that, not just something with text, but music and concepts, it's a whole different skill set. And I'm sure that was... I mean, you probably learned a lot uh, in that time period, too. Um, but you eventually do move to Georgia, and how does that go? Pre- Pre-COVID was great. Well, no. Um, Pre-COVID was pretty okay. I joined the orchestra, which it was very low-pressure orchestra, which was exactly what I wanted. When I emailed them, I was like, I'm looking for a low-pressure, low I'm flashing back to the panic attack in Boston. Like, I just, I want to play my bass, but I don't want to be, like, shitting my pants. So, I found that, um, and I, when I first moved down here, I taught piano lessons at, in an after-school program in a school district that is two hours away from me. So, I was driving four hours every day to go there. And I really enjoyed, like, I enjoyed the school districts that I was teaching with. The schools were so clinging. It was really great. These kids were engaged. Their parents were really supportive. And so I got private lessons through that. I found a private lesson studio two minutes away from my house. So I uh, got hired there. And then I got hired at a school in DeKalb County. In this school, I realized I got hired there because of my work at Lawrence because this is a welcome to America school. And that means we get kids who literally came here yesterday from a Hispanic speaking country or from an Asian country or from a Middle Eastern country. Um, basically, no one speaks English. And the Georgia's education system is very different from Massachusetts education system in that there is no central education office. The government does not have their hand in education, which to me isn't very educated. So <laughs> uh, money, oh, it's it's a giant mess. Uh, but it, it was my first time running a chorus since I had student taught. And when I student taught, we didn't talk about this, but my uh, student teacher, uh, practitioner, she was a middle school chorus teacher. And I had trouble with pitch. She was... She was a lot like Marshall in that she told me to quit. <laughs> um, so I formed a chorus at my school, which helps with literacy. And it also just music in my county really is there's no feeder program. There's no real seriousness put in it, which is really sad. Um, so I wanted, you know, to give these kids this and hope it does something. And working with them was awesome. And seeing the development, and it helped, it improved my pitch. I can sing now. Um, and just, we sang Remember Me from Coco. 
and they performed i had a chorus of seven kids they performed with choirs of like 40 kids and so they went on there and they stood up nice and tall they had their little folders and you couldn't hear them (laughs) unless you were a foot away because there were only seven of them but they were remember there were tears i was just thank you thank you for that so um teaching children is really that's where i'm at and i would like to teach instrumental music um and i hope that in my next school after i leave this school there will be something better yeah so i have kind of near the end so one i guess one more question and then i have just two like wrap-ups um what are you kind of looking forward to um in the in the future for you like how would you do you see yourself being a a lifelong educator do you want to pursue more improv um do you find that a balance is useful want to try to play and gig out in a different setting um what are just kind of things on your horizon that you're looking forward to yes to all of that (laughs) one thing about me is i'm never just doing one thing because Mm -hmm. i can't um i definitely i want to keep on doing at least private lessons i would like to be an educator i definitely want to i'm going to pursue improv until i die because improv comedy show has shown me how to manage my mental health like um dad's garage theater company down in atlanta it if you haven't checked it out check it out just google it we are I'm not a part of it, but I hope to be one day. It has such a great curriculum, and it's all standing on the fact that if you mess up, you're not really messing up. When we mess up games in, like, level one or two, we cheer when we mess up. Because there is no failure in improv. The only failure is not going for it and not trying. And um, during this corona situation they had a twitch channel and they had student nights on those twitch channels and had me go on and it was just it's just been a bright spot and i have a show can i plug can i plug i have an improv comedy show that i made with my friend caleb pendleton and we made this during the pandemic and we're going to continue being on twitch probably after the pandemic because it took me so freaking long to figure out the open broadcasting system (laughs) and that's not gonna be for nothing um but we play an rpg called fiasco where um you basically make up a script to a weird movie and then you act it out and we've had some pretty awesome people on there and i'd love to get even more people on there that's twitch.tv slash calamity fiasco my episodes are at 7 p.m on saturday so i want to do that and I I want to gig. I want to keep playing music. It took me a long time to kind of figure it out. And there will always be a little shadow over me when I'm playing music. But that shadow is much smaller. And it's much easier to push away. Because I'm trying my best. So for a second to last question, I just want to ask what bit of advice you would give to someone else who is just starting out or a professional themselves or dealing with maybe something you've dealt with um and what what was your what is your mantra or what's kind of been your thought process that has helped (laughs) you get through it um don't be so hard on yourself don't 
Just don't. Because it's never, ever as bad as your brain thinks it is. Ever. Ever. Like, literally ever. Our perception, we have evolved from a society of, if we don't run fast enough, we're going to die. And it's that fight or flight that you really need to learn how to manage when you're a musician. And I remember Pascal telling me, you're so kind to your students, why aren't you kind to yourself? And it's, I carry that in my heart. If you teach, just think of, would you tell your student you suck? Would you, would you yell at them the way you're yelling at yourself? Like after a gig, would you be pouting to them and telling them it wasn't that good? No, you would be so proud. So take that and give it to yourself. And that's something that I have to remind myself to do every single day. Um, but it gets easier every single day. So just keep that. Just don't be so hard on yourself. It's never that serious. It's never that serious. Unless you kill someone. <laughs> that top break. <laughs> okay, and finally, uh, what are your COVID jams? What are you listening to lately? Or what even can even be? Um, I, uh, last night at... 11.30, Toby put on Hamilton, and I was drinking Bacardi and rapping it to him, and that was hilarious. <laughs> so Hamilton always on my jam. Um, I mostly listen to podcasts, comedy, RPG podcasts, The Adventure Zone, which is um, by the same people who do My Brother and My Brother and Me, and Sawbones. Um, they play Dungeons and Dragons with their dad, and it's super fun. And that's kind of what inspired my show. So I would do The Adventure Zone. Um, I've been listening to The Hobbit, read by Andy Serkis, who plays Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. I like audiobooks. I don't listen to that much music. It's a thing. Um, Toby sometimes puts on, like, jazz covers of Christmas songs, and it's amazing. We dance in our kitchen. Uh, and yeah, sometimes though, so he goes between that and like, um, Kenny Loggins. <laughs> with oh the boys, and he'll be working out with his weights, and I'm just like, <laughs> you're amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Um, Alright, well, thank you for taking the time to do this, and I'm so looking forward to seeing how you expand and venture out to these new areas, and it seems like you've already developed so much, I mean, obviously, but also you've become just so balanced, which I think is such a huge achievement in itself, um, and not everyone gets there, so thanks for sharing everything, and I look look forward to seeing what you're up to yeah, thanks for having me on <laughs>